realize that I think it's wonderful. <coughs> but certain things he does, I don't get, you know. And he said, neither do I. And then we <coughs> continue to speak. And then Eugene Smith always enlarges photographs with music, you know. And then he told me again that he can only enlarge if music is playing and what kind of music plays and all these kind of stuff. Why don't you change the, the chair down? No, I'm going to give you a glass of water. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> and it's a very amusing kind of a scene because really I do like Eugene Smith. He's a funny kind of a guy. You have the same taste in music, huh? Oh, yes, he has an excellent taste in music. <coughs> Thank you. And then he said how he uses music for enlarging. And then I said to him, yes, but of course as a background music. He said, no, not as a background music. But I said, Eugene, you're not going to tell me that when you play Beethoven, you're going to make another print that when you are playing Bach or Schoenberg, no? <laughs> that is a phony baloney. Well, he said, don't you phony baloney me. And I said, Gene, I didn't mean it really. <laughs> and then we went back into the concert hall, and he was not anymore photographing. He was standing there with his camera, leaning on a wall and watching me as if he would murder me. <laughs> and I was afraid. And then, one day we were at a party and he looked at me and I took my camera and took a couple of pictures of me. Then he took his camera and took a couple of pictures of me and then we kissed each other. <laughs> and then he told a story on television. On Casey Allen's show? Huh? On Casey Allen's uh, show? I don't know. He said, well, he said, model said this phony baloney if I <coughs> listen to music. <coughs> but you know, <coughs> He is certainly a, a very honest man, but he also is a very sick man. I mean, sick because of the war and because of the innumerable wounds and so forth. He's a martyr, you know, he wants to be the martyr all the yeah, time. I, I, so let him, let him. He seems to be pretty good at that. Yeah. How about uh, Aaron Siskin? But I have a very good feeling for Eugene Smith. For instance, when I and Gotze Guggenheim in a, at a party he came to me and he said, you did not ask me to sponsor you, but I did it in spite of you. And that is really very nice. Hmm. You, uh, Siskin? Yeah, I know? like him very much. Did you meet him in Oh, yes, of course. I met him many times. And at a school in Providence. And More recently, yeah. And I, he was a fantastic documentary photographer, a marvelous one. Yeah. And then he turned and does what he's doing, which personally I feel is the imitation of painting, and he knows that too. A lot of people have said that. Oh, sure. And from all the pho photographs, abstract photographs I have seen, they still are the best. These are the best of that type. Oh, definitely so. What, what and he is a very, very amusing guy. Yeah. And uh, I get along very well with him. I'm wondering, uh, so some people I heard. Uh, I've heard this uh, said that uh, charged that uh, when he changed from being a documentary type of photographer after the Tabernacle City group and started to become an abstract photographer, 
some people have said that the real reason he did that was partly because of the political pressure in the documentary that he wanted to get out from that, and the abstract art was very uh, safe, safe in that you couldn't. I don't think that Siskin is that kind of a man. You, you <coughs> but I couldn't tell that. You wouldn't leave the story offhand, though. Were, were there those kind of pressures on people? I don't know. The person who we haven't mentioned at all that I, we probably should uh, is, uh, is Marion Palfi. Um, I don't, uh, her work hasn't been uh, exhibited a lot. Uh, Donnie is a wonderful person. I don't know too much about her. I wonder if She's an excellent photographer. Would you have met her right at this time? I met Marion Palfi, not at the photo leap, but at that time. <coughs> Was she a member of Farley? I don't think so. And if she was, she walked, she walked out, because they always had said that they had nothing to do with politics, and then one found out that that wasn't true. That was a mistake they made. <clears throat> but Marion Puffy is, you see, she is, <clears throat> she has dedicated her life to save the world. There cannot be any world, any doubt. And she does what she's doing because she's convinced that it will help. And then she did a study about children, a study about old age, the lynch town, which is an incredible thing, and then the Indians and so forth, and is a tremendous worker. And for her photography, she's an excellent photographer. You, you ask Bernice, and uh, it's quite something. How did, how did you meet her at the time? I met her at a party, I think. Someone just said, "Oh, you should meet this person across the room." Yeah, and we became very great friends, and she's one of the. Did she live in New York for a long time, or does yes, she still? Yes, no, she lives in Los Angeles with her husband, who is a theatrical director, and is working on her projects, and is a most courageous and honest kind of a person, and was one of the most beautiful women in the world. It's uh, really an incredible person. So, But she, she quit uh, totally because she got Yes, she them. quit, but then she didn't take that too seriously. Yeah. I'm wondering, I, I don't know, I've heard this, uh, this is just a story that I'm, I'm not certain what the reality is, and I wonder if you knew something about it, about some, there being some man um, who came uh, from Germany in the early in the 30s, who had something to do with founding the, the Film and Photo League, you know, the beginning. Who told us that? I think I was a one. <coughs> was it something that you told David on the telephone, maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I Frankly, I'm not certain where I, where I heard it. Well, it was a very strange thing. <coughs> <coughs> um, I didn't put any importance on the photo league, political or not political and all that. <coughs> but I got in trouble because of the photo league yeah. with the FBI. <coughs> and they came and asked questions, and I answered them. But <coughs> when, two years ago or so, uh, Marvin Israel asked me to take the letter from the Guggenheim, which I destroyed, goddammit, <coughs> and go to Life magazine and speak to a man over there who would write about her and tell her him about Diane. He wanted information about Diane. About Diane yeah. And to go there because if that article could be written, 
then it would be paid twice as much and the children needed the money. So I went there. <coughs> and there was a highly intelligent man whose name I don't know, and I don't think worked permanently there. So this was two years ago or so? Like yes, two or three years well, ago. And he said to me he couldn't understand why. He, he said, I have interviewed Stalin, I have interviewed Churchill, I have interviewed this. And it was not so difficult to get information. How is it that I can't get any information about Diane? <coughs> and I said, it's simple, <coughs> because suicide is involved. And it was almost an event for me to meet that man, and even for him too. And then at that moment, an editor came in and said to me, well, as long as you are here, Mrs. Model, we would, we would like to make an article about the photo league, and could we include your photographs? And I said, you know, I will tell you one thing. I don't care if I'm included in a magazine or not, but Life magazine has made it their job, and it's the only magazine to exclude me from A to Z from Life magazine. They have been in my house 10 times. Never ever was there a single photograph published in one of your books, and all the thirds, fourth, fifth, and sixth great photographers of America are in, except me. And just for the purpose of the Photo League, I would not give you the pictures because I am not agreeing, and I've really never quite agreed to the Photo League. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, that man said, and I said to this man, you know, they were involved in politics, and the fact that they made believe all their members constantly that they are not, that was a thing not to be done, because one has to know where one is. And then he said to me, of course they were, because I did know the man in Berlin who created over there a kind of a club for photography and movies, and he was a communist, it was based on politics. And then he came over here and did the same thing here to the photo league. He was the one who organized it, but I don't know who that is. So this guy at Life Magazine was the one who told you the story. Mm -hmm. And you don't, but you don't recall his name. But he said, did, did this man actually say that he had interviewed Stalin and all these people that he had done this kind of interview? Was he an older man who would have? He was maybe a man of 50, but he still has interviewed a famous journalist he interviewed. Maybe at that time he had no money, had to take a job at Life Magazine, but he was a famous journalist and interviewed. Would you, would you recognize his name? No. He was, Saw him once. Was the thing uh, on the Photo League uh, published in Life? I have no idea. No, <clears throat> that has nothing to do with him. And Ann Tucker is writing a book, and she constantly asked me to give her, and I always said to her, I don't like the Photo League, for many reasons. I just didn't like it. And I don't want to say something about the Photo and then the other day she wrote to me and she called me up and she said, but I can put a picture in of yours. But I said, it was never connected with the photo league. And she said, yes, but it may have had great influence. It had no influence on nobody. Okay, put a picture in, because I was there. Yeah, well, you had an exhibitor. <coughs> I had an exhibitor. And you know, I can't complain because they were very nice. Well, it seems as though there were, uh, there were, like the people who were members of the photo league who paid dues and came to meetings regularly and that kind of thing. And then there were people around that who maybe who like directed. yourself who were who were teachers who came or exhibitors who came or people who just came to be with other photographers who were not really members but that was a 
a kind of place you got together with yes, photographers. Yes, the Newhorts were there, and Sladams came, Burkwight came, everybody came to the photo. It was a very good documentary kind of a situation. And then they brought over photographs from from France, you see, from Isis and Duanot, and all these photographers after the war. It was quite interesting. So what you mentioned that, that uh, when the when the investigations uh, came around, that, that you they asked you <coughs> to join so that you could exhibit. What was that about? When McCarthy attacked them. They had to prove that this isn't true, that they were politically involved. And that's what they said. And that the photo league was not at all a kind of a communist-affiliated kind of a situation. And maybe it wasn't at that time. And then they asked people who had been at the photo league, members or not, to join them and give pictures for an exhibition that proved the value, the ethical value of what they were doing, you see, to photograph this and to photograph that and were excellent things done. And they asked me if they could include some of my photographs, but they would only include them because at that time they would only show what the members had done. And to become a member in order to be exhibited and help them. And I said, of course, no, yes, because of McCarthy. So you did that as almost as a symbolic True, and Ansel Adams came down and made a talk and said that it's not true, that this is a a kind of a organization against the government of America. Did that that show took place? Hmm? That show did that was that ever? Yes, it took place. And this is the FBI came over and asked me what I had done there and then they gave a big dinner party at a restaurant and where you present at that moment at that dinner party and <laughs> I didn't remember it anymore and then I did remember they had a good time with me because they asked me twenty five questions and <laughs> Worse than we are. Yeah, but I couldn't remember many things. They must have thought, uh, well, what was that like to have these people come to your home and ask that? I mean, you must have, they must have felt, uh, were you scared? I mean, not at all. No? Were you, it's not easy to scare me, man. Were you surprised? Even not. Everybody was, they were everywhere. Yeah, well, when was this and like? I did not know that one could tell to the FBI, you better get out of this place because you legally have no rights. And I was very polite to them, and they were very polite to me. And I answered their questions absolutely sincerely. When would this have been, 49? I can tell you when it was. When I came back from Italy in 53. So that, the photo league had been, had been gone for a couple of years. They were still investigating. Sure. So do you think they were Oh, just they investigated me for something else, which was a riot. A riot? That was a riot, darling. You know, there was a thing which was called the Peace Conference, where Russian artists of all kinds of things were coming over to the United States. Oh, uh, and they wouldn't let some people come? And I was at the party, you know, really, I mean. <laughs> Since then, I have never signed anything in my life. Yeah. And somebody came over to me at the party and said, would you want to sign for peace? Naturally, I said, and signed not looking. Even if I would have looked, I wouldn't have known what the hell that was all about. And then I signed something. And then there were big headlines, the peace conference, the peace conference, the peace conference. And I said to myself, isn't that for what I signed? And then I read about it. And then all the names 
And you know what they made me sign? Not to be a member of the peace conference, but a sponsor. There were Charlie Chaplin, Thomas Mann. I was in good company, I can assure you that. And in the photographic feed, two, three names. But I had no idea. And all that was published in the Times, all the names and the photos of the world. And I wasn't just a member, I was a sponsor. You know, this is a little bit criminal. To let, people, to let people sign something without explaining them what the hell that is all about. So then you and I hate that? organizations. I yeah. hate political parties. I hate all that. But once I was in, I said to myself, don't you go back. And I said to myself, as long as I'm in, I go and see what the hell this is all about. Sure. Never in my life have I seen as many bishops and rabbis <laughs> <laughs> and journalists and lousy food and boring. Was this in New York somewhere? Yeah, there was in the, uh, in the, I don't know what kind of this big hotel over there. What is a big hotel on Madison Avenue? Americana or mm. Hilton or Waldorf Continental or something like that. Whatever. Whatever. And then the FBI asked me what I was doing there, and I, sa I said, I was investigating. <laughs> I was investigating what I was supposed to do there. Do you know that these people believe me? The FBI. When I said that I'm not interested in politics, because I'm not. I'm glad to be in a democratic country, but I'm absolutely disinterested in politics, and I had nothing to do with that. And then they asked me of my address in Paris to find out about that. I couldn't find out anything because I didn't do anything. And then the one day called me up and he said, oh, I have forgotten to ask you for your address in Paris. And I said, am I glad that you forgot something? <laughs> because I was doing nothing but not remembering. <laughs> Where have you been this day that time? So this was actually two separate times that the FBI yeah. came around. Yeah. Once when I was in Italy and once when I came back. But of course you never can tell what these people write down. You see? You mean they investigated you when you were in Italy? They came to my house. You weren't home though, you mean? Yes, I said I was in Italy oh. and then they came back. And, and so, they ask, so they ask about the photo league and then they ask about the peace thing, both right. of those. The right. same thing, yeah. same time, I mean, yeah. both of those, yeah. And I have the feeling that they really believed what I said, because obviously I had nothing to hide. Did they ask you about specific members of the Photo League? Or yes. They asked me if I knew if Sid Grossman was a communist, which at that time I didn't know. And I looked at them and I said, you are asking me? How is it that you don't know? And then, <laughs> they, broke, and then they broke out in laughter. <laughs> They sound like fairly easygoing FBI agents. Oh, he's starting to be very polite. Most of them had a hard day anyway. They were so. very polite. I had the feeling that they sensed that. Yeah. I'm curious, you said that you're a not very political person. Did no. Are you registered? Do you vote? Yes, I voted always for the president. And I voted also many other times. This time I didn't vote because with Jeff's sickness, um, mm -hmm. I had neglected it and I have to get a nose of it, but I made it my business, yes, to vote. And for, I always voted against something. <laughs> I always voted against. You know, really against. Well, it seems uh, like you're in the majority of American Against voters. Nixon, against this one, against that one, then what came up wasn't so hard, but this is what it is. Yeah. But I have the feeling it's a good idea to vote 
against the worst. Yeah, that's a good way of yeah. doing it. It's a survival way to do it, sort of. Um. Politics and business are the two things I do not get. <laughs> I don't find my way. Yeah. And I tried hard to be become very strongly politically aware, and I never could make it. Did you read a lot of newspapers? I mean, did you read the Times? Uh, no, no, that I can't hold in my hands. That's too big. Did you did you try to? I mean, at one time when you were yes, trying. Yes, when I was a little girl, my father, who had twenty newspapers of all countries on his table, you see, in all languages and magazines, you always said you're an intelligent girl, and you have to understand politics because he understood it. Now, I couldn't. Just my brain doesn't work. It works to find out what anti-fascism is and fascism. That there it works. But international politics, it doesn't work. For instance, I would give a hell of a lot to find out who Kissinger really is. And I can't understand the guy. And you know somebody who has a sense for politics immediately would know. Do you know? Yeah. I have the feeling Americans are very little interested in politics. Most of them are not very interested. And in France, my dear, politics is talked from the morning to the night. Also in Germany. Do you watch television news? Well, I have a television they gave me, and it's out of focus because of I don't know what, and I don't watch it yet. I will. I think this is the best, right? The, the forgetting news, you mean? Yeah. It's certainly the easiest. Yes, but then you can't control, I can't find out what it is. Jeffs read one headline and he knew what's going to happen next week or in three months. He was completely opposite, but he knew. Was he very politically aware? Did he read a lot? Just had a feel for it. It's just the one headline, huh? Couple of headlines. <laughs> was Elizabeth McCausland pretty active in the Polo League? I know she gave <coughs> some lectures there and some talks. Maybe, and but I, tr I have never, I've never seen her when I was there and I've never heard her. I know that Berenice didn't like it. Yeah, we've, Berenice has told us uh, about her feelings. Yeah, what was the thing that happened between her and, and Strand? That made her so hate him so much? Wasn't that part of, what, didn't that happen at the photo league, or wasn't that? I don't think so. I think that was a personal kind of thing. Mm. Why didn't you ask her? Well, she told us uh, that, you know. I think that was a kind of a disrespect of Paul Strand, of her work and of her whatever. Yeah, I guess there was some resentment uh, about her feeling that sh how hard it had been for her to make it uh, to survive and that he had, it had been easier for him or was easier for Well, him. it was not easy for Paul Strand because really he didn't want to take his father's money and he couldn't make a living because they didn't accept him. But she was very right in many things she said about him. Um, did you know uh, Arnold Newman? Oh, I know Arnold Newman. Yes. Uh, um, somewhere I had heard that he was he was one of, one of the people that was. I guess he was a member of the Photo League. He was. Yeah, or, or I never saw him there in my life. Oh, really? No. No, but you after the war, basically, you were you know, you didn't ever go there after the or what? Just the first couple of years, you dropped in and then you stopped. Yes. Oh, completely. I didn't like it. I think he was uh, the story I heard that was that may, maybe it was this thing that that. You did, where he was asked to, to join when the investigation I, have I met Arnold Newman when Broadwich gave him an assignment to photograph fashion models in Jeff's studio with, with Jeff's paintings. 
And he came, and he, he couldn't do it, because Arnold Miller, after all, is not a fashion photographer. Mm -hmm. And then Brodovich, but he brought some photographs to the Harper's Bazaar, and Brodovich didn't like them, but gave the photographs to other photographers who imitated Arnold Newman's photographs and got paid for it. This is what Brodovich did. Oh, <laughs> Brodovich did lots of these things. And then Arnold Newman was a great, I dare to say so because he has said it many times, one of my greatest fans still today. And I met him then many times and his wife and his enormous struggle to make a living for him and his children and his wife, and at the same time to be an artist, you know, this kind of a split between commercial, commercial, photojournalistic, and his own, which was very difficult. Yeah, that's a, <coughs> very difficult for a lot of people. It is something that can really destroy somebody. Mm -hmm. And still he does it the same way. Yeah. And I meet him very often, and he always wants to photograph me and never comes to it. <laughs> and uh, we are friends. I wondered um, a thing about the Photo League, and this is a thing that's being talked about now more recent, just in recent years, about people from the McCarthy period being blacklisted. Of course, particularly people in television writers and, and writers uh, in the movie industry. The there was state. a terrible thing at the Photo League. There was a Greek woman mm -hmm. whose name I don't know. Was this Angela yeah. Calomiris? Yes, who was there, and she was really somebody who was like a boy, and a photographer, and you know, a kind of a tomboyish kind of a young woman, a lesbian with a girlfriend, and somebody I liked very much. And then she, she was a spy, and she denounced everybody in the photo league. She didn't denounce me because I had nothing to do with it. You, uh, where did she denounce them? I mean, what did she, she worked as a spy with the FBI. You mean in, the, in a, like in a like, committee meeting or something? She. I don't know. She even had. Even Mrs. Roosevelt who had to accept to speak. It was a terrible story. And I couldn't believe it. And, and then what, uh, how does this raise the blacklisting? Uh, what, uh I think it had a great deal to do, had a great disadvantage for Sid Grossman and for all kinds of people there who really worked at the photo league. And I met her once in the drugstore, and she was ready to come toward me, and I shrank back. I said to myself, what's that? She looked very unhappy. Do, do you know, besides Sid Grossman, of other photographers who, who, I mean, who you, or at least who you think probably had trouble getting work because of being blacklisted? I don't know any. You would think Sid Grossman no. might be one, though. But Sid Grossman didn't get any work before. Yeah. He was but a strange kind of a personality people didn't like. Mm. Yeah, you just said, yeah, I hear. Well, so as, as far as you know, no one actually w was blacklisted. I don't know. Because you I, you don't know I didn't know the photographers who were there, you see. I had yeah. no idea. I know, for instance, Dan Weiner, who was also at the Photo League, I think he wasn't blacklisted. He had tremendous jobs. He so was killed in an airplane crash. Yeah, right. so it didn't yeah. have that much direct effect on, on photographers. But I don't know them, you see. I, I don't know who was there a photographer, because the people who were in the Photo League, they talked so much they never became photographers. This is where I couldn't stand it. Can't you change seats? I can see you can't sit anywhere on this kind of thing. You want to no. change the chairs? I, I'm okay. You sure? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll okay. Yeah, I get to move more this way, actually. It's good. I don't have to sit the, uh, the next thing I have to do, I have to buy another chair. Already this one doesn't fit here. 
and why are you interested in so many things? Oh, David Vessel, I met, I met at Sid Grossman's classes. Oh, yeah? At a time when he was a boy who would never open his mouth and speak very, 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 one couldn't even listen to him and suppose. But he photographed beautifully, always. And then there were times when we were just acquainted and then times when we didn't come together and then we became very great friends. Did, did you know uh, Anne Trier? Sure, that is his wife. Yeah, that's right. Very good photographer. Excellent. Yeah, she had an exhibit uh, in the 50s with Charles Pratt. But she had an exhibit at the uh, Midtown Galleries several years ago, a wonderful exhibit. She's a wonderful photographer. He's now here. He's coming to New York tomorrow, I think. David Lesson? Yeah. Do you, do you keep up contact oh, with yes. him? I see him every time he comes. Talk with his wife on the phone. He was wonderful. He was a very great friend. I, I was just wondering if we might sum this up in, in a sense. Uh, I, I'm just curious. You, you had uh, had this different international background. You've been in Austria, and you've been in Italy, and you've seen the fascism, and you've been in France, and then you come to this country um, and loved it, you know, and, and then in the 50s, in the late 40s and the 50s, this thing with the Photo League is, is one example, one small example, of what McCarthy was doing to the oh, I was sure that McCarthy would become president. I was absolutely convinced that, that uh, America was finished. And then my American friends always said, that isn't so in America, Matthew. You are great, making a great mistake. You are judging McCarthy by European standards. He's not going to come through. And I had the feeling that's it. Here yes, I come uh, from Mussolini, Hitler, and here's McCarthy. And I was convinced that this would be a disaster. And then I had a friend who was an excellent politician, a woman, and she said, no, it's not going to win out at all. You must have felt pretty uh, awful thinking that, that this was wondering where you'd go yeah, next. Yeah. There was no next. Yeah. There's no next. But you were really surprised when... Uh, yes, I was. Got nowhere eventually. Speaking of... Uh, Coming from Europe and everything, one thing we neglected to ask you was when, when did you uh, become citizen? Fifty forty-five, as I can see yesterday, because I had to show the papers to a notary public, public notary. Forty-five. Yeah. Did, uh, was it yes at the same time? At the German measles. <laughs> and when I came there, the doctor said that is not any more infectious, my dear. When I came there, they all shrank back. I said, it's not in <laughs> Yeah, I thought it took, um, took a long time. It took nine years or something, am I wrong, to, to, be, to get citizenship? Or how does it work? It was very hard at this because the quota was open. Yeah, I mean, it was as a and result we immediately, of the war. Huh? Was it as a result of the war that it was more open? I'll tell you that. No, 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 because yes, there was a Russian immigrant, and the Russian quota was open. If I would have gone back. Austrian quote, I would have to wait a long time. Oh, so you did it as, as, as his, yes, wife. his wife. As his uh, wife. Huh, that's curious. Huh. Well, just to go on to a few other people, did you ever have any contact with Julian Levy? No. Never, never met the man? No. Because I know he was trying to show photographs and he showed Cartier and 
No. I don't even know where that is. I know the name, of course, of his gallery. Sure, yeah. How about, how about Todd Webb? We saw that picture he did of you. Uh, well, Todd Webb I met through a very interesting writer, and that was Herbert Raya. Uh, uh, he was a great friend of Berenice's, and at the end, not so great, I think. This is Ferdinand Raya. Ferdin yeah, Ferdinand Raya, and we became very great friends, Ferdinand Raya, and Todd Webb and Ferdinand Raya they were always together. So this uh, is the way I met Todd Webb. How, uh, how, how did uh, was Raya? What was his nationality? Was he American? American. He was American. And he had been in Berlin for a long time, and became a very good friend of Bert Brecht. Right, right. He no, was a tremendously that. intelligent man. And he, he worked in New York City as a writer in some capacity? He lived in the Hotel Chelsea and was a writer, that's all I know. And you met him at a party or something? Or? Berenice introduced. And then we became very great friends. And he introduced you to Todd Webb? Yeah. Do you know what, what was what was Ryer's background? Or how he had met Webb? Or did he know photographers? Or oh, he, uh, he, was, he was a tremendous knower of photography. And he got then in touch with Berenice about the Ajay situation. I don't know how that ended up. And he really knew photography. There's no doubt about it. Hmm. And he, had, he was crazy about my photographs. And at that time, I don't know what he was writing, his own books. And then I think Berenice sent him over to Paris with the Ajay. And then he came back. And then he went to this McDowell kind of a uh, foundation in Vermont. Uh, in oh. New Hampshire. Is it a colony like you Colony, yeah. Oh, yeah. And stayed there for a long time and married a beautiful young Chinese writer. Yeah. And then he got very ill, already was. I think he had strokes. And then he had a terrible stroke and was completely half paralyzed and died. He was a brilliant kind of man, absolutely. He was a great friend of Nancy Newhall. I thought I heard that he died in a train wreck in, no. in, 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 uh, oh, in Europe. No, I thought he died of a stroke, but on a train. He would, didn't, didn't, wasn't the story that he had this... He was writing a book on Aceh. And he had it done. He had no, 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 no that arm. is not possible, because one of his nephews, whose name is Halberstaff or something, he told me several years ago that he was in Boston or somewhere around, and that he was like a vegetable, and that his wife has to take care of him day and night. He couldn't have traveled. Hmm. So, you mean, when, before he died, he couldn't possibly have been traveling? He would have been living in Boston that. or in New England somewhere? Huh. That is curious. Um, so, so did you, uh, you met Todd Webb through him. Did, mm -hmm. uh, Todd Webb took his picture of you. I don't know, did you have any, uh, did Todd Webb take any of your courses, or was he just Oh, no, he was a full-fledged photographer. When you met him, he was a... Uh, he was a photographer. And... Uh, very nice guy who had a wife who was an advertising woman. Met him here the other day. Got fat like this, and now he's going to live in New York again. Got a couple of Guggenheims for American Pass, or I don't know what he did. And work for Stryker. Work for Stryker. Very, very nice man. Yeah, I'd like to interview Todd Webb. I think he would be very interesting. Hmm? I would like to interview Todd Webb. I think he probably has seen a lot of different things and done a lot of photography. He would be a very interesting person. To talk to. Yeah. But uh, Raya would have been the man to talk to. Oh, yes. This is what. This is what. Uh, 
What questions? What more questions do we have to ask? Well, we're, we're getting down to the. I think we have the, the bottom of the barrel. Or I think we have there. perhaps as much as one hour, perhaps less. Yeah, mm -hmm. things we'd like to. I'm just wondering if we should go to dinner. Where would you go? Well, wherever you would like to go. Yeah, we could go uh, back where we went you know, last night. Would be fine. I have no objection because you see, this is a nice kind of a place. And it really was uh, quite pleasant. <laughs> and you, you can ask. We treat you. And that's not. You see. The thing is, you can ask for a hamburger this way, that way. I can say, I want three chicken legs, and they have to soft. Don't put it there. And they do everything you want. All these waiters are homosexual dancers. They're marvelous. <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole place is, all the Japanese cooks are homosexuals. But they look fascinating. Well, as long as they can cook. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they cook with much more refinement and care than the others. You know, there was a picture of a dancer. That's uh, good, Garrett. Valeska Gerd. Oh, Valeska Gerd. I photographed a great deal. In, in Paris? Was that in Paris before I met her in Paris in a strange way. Oh, that's a fascinating kind of a woman when she met her in Paris. I was invited to at Maywald's, the photographer. Right. There was a woman who looked completely insane and crazy sitting on a house too, and she was always smiling at me and smiling. I said to myself, God damn, another lesbian was that. <laughs> and then she came over to me and she said, you know why I look at you? You look exactly like my first husband. And I adore him, we are divorced, but I adore him. And she was one of the most eccentric, just a great artist. That's one of the greatest, I mean. One of the greatest dancers and artists ever. And uh, she, I mean, it, the word eccentric isn't enough. She was half insane, but in this insanity, what kind of a politician she was, what kind of a writer she was, and an innovator in dancing. And she and I, like all the crazy people in the world and all the half-criminals, I don't know what that always follows me since I'm born. <laughs> and we became great friends, and she came then to America, and she had to have publicity photographs, and I made them. Uh, Gert didn't find a single photograph he thought, and I have the feeling that there must be pictures, because I have many, many photographs of Valeska Gert, very strong ones. And she met Eisenstein in Berlin, and, you know, Eisenstein was a marvelous man. God. Have you ever read the biography by Mary? I don't know what no, about Eisenstein. Parts of film form and film sense. It's unbelievable. He, he fitted nowhere. You see, he didn't fit in Russia. They finally prohibited him to do anything, yet Stalin liked him. It's a fantastic book. I don't know the name of the woman, Mary or something. And she fell in love with him, and Eisenstein is a man who never had a sexual relationship with anybody, not with a woman, not with a man. Yeah. You read this book, it mm. breaks your heart. And he fell for Valeska and she fell for him. They never, they never got together. And then Valeska wrote a biography of herself and she went to Russia and they filmed all her dances. Also Brecht filmed her, all her dances, you know, Valeska there. And she is now, as a woman of uh, maybe 85, she's in Berlin, runs her nightclub and is still very active. Huh. And, a f and once in a while I get a greeting from her. It's one of the most extraordinary yeah. So. Did you ever meet Brecht? Yes. You see, Brecht, Brecht's wife was a schoolmate of mine, but much older than I. This time, really, she was older. <laughs> and, she went, and she went to the same school. In the Schwarzkopf yeah. school? As a matter of fact, I came to the school through her. And there, she was a completely crazy child, and this woman picked her up 
and then she was brought to Berlin, and when she was in Berlin, she never took a lesson, and she became one of the greatest actresses, Helene Weigel, and Bert's wife. And <clears throat> of course, I saw then Helene Weigel in Paris before I left Paris, and she was acting in Brecht's sketches. At that time, I hadn't met Brecht because Brecht didn't come to Paris, or he was in Paris, but I was. And I met Brecht once or twice here, but very superficially, at through the Schoenberg's house, you know, through the Greisler's house here. And I gave him some greetings for his wife, but then they lived in California, and I lived here. And that is all I met about yeah. Brecht. But Raya was a great friend of his, and he lived with Brecht in California, too. I'll find out more about Raya. He sounds like a very interesting oh, character. Oh, darling, that was an interesting You say he, he, has a, he has a nephew or a son? Halberstadt. Who is still Ber Berenice. Oh, yes, he lives in Boston. I think Berenice must know his address. And if you don't get his address to Berenice, I can get you his address through uh, the sister-in-law of Callahan, D. Dina. Uh, How do you know Dina? I just know that she is someone who... I associate with Callahan, and you said because I just yeah. saw the Callahan show and looked at the book, and her name is in there, and I just I would just remember names. It's just one of my. Yeah. It's just a thing I do. I read phone books at night, you know, to see, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> see who was where. <laughs> but she would know about this man, and then also, oh my God, why? If you want to know about the Raya, why don't you go to Todd Webb? Good idea. He told me he would live now in New York. I think I'll do that. It'll take me a while, but I'll, I'll probably get around to it. Well, let's go eat, eat some dinner, shall we? Why not? You know, but Raya's brain deteriorated. After the strokes? But he had many small strokes. He started out to have terrific nose bleedings, you see, nose bleeding, and then slow, small strokes. And his wife was a highly gifted Chinese writer. She still must be a writer. Mm -hmm. Because she was very young. You know, I have complete empty stomach, and how am I going to take the cold this time? Well, let's go out. We can always uh, drop you around in the car. If you really feel it's cold, we'd be happy to do that. You know, for me, to sit for five and six hours is almost never heard of. We'll leave you a little extra today. This is on remote. You can use that switch right there to turn it on and off. That's, oh no, I, I'm sorry. With the extender, you can't do that. But uh, I was doing that's another. That pause control on your thing is really nice. That's your, your whole thing is a servo control, which is really the way to handle. Which this is not. This is. <coughs> yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you what, how I made this thing. You want? You want to see how why it's not speaking? Yeah. <laughs> Question is, is it recording? Well, it's just the... It does always feel warmer when you come in from the outside. That's when my sister sent it to me, I said to myself, you must be nuts. What do I need that for? But yeah.
Are these books identical? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just so we both know what's, what's going on. Um, we, I don't think we ever asked you what, what your mother's first name was. My mother's first name was Felicie. This is the second name in my name. Oh. And the second name was Picus. French name, P-I-C-U-S. P-I-C-U-S. That is a Roman god. That was her, that was her maiden, maiden name? Yeah. Oh, huh. that's a, yeah, that's a very unusual name. Where was she from in France, originally? Well, she was born in one of the states. They had near the lake of Annecy, but then in winter, of course, she was always in Paris. And uh, uh, let's see, did, did you ever, uh, <clears throat> we're always kind of curious uh, what your you know, very first exposure to photography was. Did you have a, uh, a stereo viewer in your house or any, any photographs at all? No, my brother, when he was a young boy of 10 or 11, he got a camera and he did, took excellent pictures, but that didn't impress me in the least. I didn't see that. <clears throat> Did you have a family album of photographs? Very well done photographs of children and parents in different times, you know, of expensive photographers, but no. Oh, family portraits. Mm -hmm. did, did you ever go to, uh, this is a, I don't know if this is, it's not a dumb question, but it's a little off. Um, but I'm wondering if, as a, as a uh, youngster, yeah, if you went to the movies. I didn't. You never <coughs> because when I was a child, I was brought to the movies, and I got a terrible headache. And I never went to the movies. It was something connection with the eyes, or <coughs> movies were vibrating very strongly. And I, then I had an aversion or a fear to go to the movies, always coming out with a headache. And it was then only when I was in Paris that I went to the movies. And you didn't have any problem, you didn't have any headaches in no. Paris? Well, at that time, the movies had improved, probably. Yeah, that's probably Or yeah. also my eyes. I also had to get terrible headaches by reading music and reading a great deal. I don't know what I, My father sent me to a physician, and he couldn't find anything. I don't know what that was. Why don't we um, turn... We had a couple uh, other questions about teaching. We had talked about teaching in pretty fair detail, but... Uh, oh, well, this isn't a question about teaching but first, but this is the thing you were talking about this summer. You were in San Francisco, and we, we talked a little bit we, about Ansel Adams and about the story of the prints that are now in Tucson and the light meter, I think it was, or how you, how you came to give him those prints. It's all right, wrong, because I... Uh, so what is the real story, and when did it happen? And <coughs> that happened... In New York? I have a letter from Ansel Adams, which I could find for you. God knows where, where it is now. Well, he, you see, Ansel had a stroke, and he does not remember many things. He even writes it in the letter about his memory. And there was never a question about the light meter and about the pictures. He invited me when I was the first time in San Francisco, or the second I was the first time, I think, to spend some time in Yosemite. And this was very nice, 10 days or so. And all the things Ansel has ever done for me See, because he was very, very helpful. He wrote incredible things about me, even in that letter. 
he writes, not to forget that you are one of my most respected colleagues, or my most admired colleagues, I suppose. And so out of gratitude, the next time when I came to San Francisco, I brought him this photograph. There was no question about the light meter, nothing. Oh, okay. but, and then he writes also, but I must admit, <coughs> I'll find you that letter, because it's an interesting letter, how he puts the whole thing, that suddenly in San Francisco, he had loaned to the school these photographs and books, and then everything disappeared. And he couldn't find them anymore, and looked all over. And then suddenly they turned up, they turned up in Rochester, and somebody must have stolen them, and then give them to Rochester, which is practically not possible, because it said it on the pictures courtesy Ansel Adams. Yeah, and, and their notes <coughs> show that they got gotten them from Adams. But he doesn't remember. Which is maybe, maybe he doesn't remember that, who knows? No. It's crazy. And so he writes all that, and then comes a story he doesn't want to send them back because they're much better prints than I think, and the situation with, of course you print better, and I've made the same mistake, to, to destroy photographs I printed at a certain time, and, the, and now I can print better, but the problem is that at that time the prints are different and has another quality which one cannot reproduce anymore, and so forth. Some pictures have the quality and some pictures don't. And I have not the feeling that these pictures can have the quality, because I knew how I printed for Harper's Bazaar. It's not important. You've said several times about how, when in teaching and going into the classroom, how you were, particularly when you started, how you were scared. Not only when I started, and I wondered, 15 years. I wondered, like when you, when you go into the classroom now, are you still scared? <laughs> no. And, and you know, how long Not did it take you? <laughs> how recently did you get over that, finally? Did you decide you could, you I think no it's, the explanation is a little bit oversimplified. That is when I started to go to different workshops, you see, teaching at a new school, going to Rhode Island, going to Chicago, going to, I don't know where, to San Francisco, and then in other towns and so forth, that it wasn't any more teaching once a week or twice a week at the new school, but I was terribly scared to teach here too. It was the same thing. And when I went to Providence, for instance, I gave one session in one class, and then I should have had another session in another class, maybe three, four hours a day sometimes. But the students from the first class went into the second class, and then they came into the third class, and then in the evenings they invited me for dinner, and it was continued. There was no more possibility to be scared. I mean, this is not possible. How much can you be scared? And little by little, uh, this has disappeared, and it became much more much less of a what I'm going to tell them, but what are we doing together? You see. And I will, for instance, make a small speech tomorrow about the whole immensity of photography, the whole field, you see, so that I shouldn't think that these little things they are doing, which is called self-expression, unfortunately, is really what photography is. Photography is an enormous field and say a couple of things about that, and then when we we'll talk about them, and then uh, see photographs and let them take over. It's very difficult sometimes, and sometimes very easy. In other words, it's different now. Yeah. I couldn't say what it is yeah. that I lost. Yeah. No, that, that explains it. Um, during, the, during the 60s, the early 60s and so on, 
uh, while during the time when you were teaching, the uh, some people, uh, and I think Aaron Siskin was one of them, and Minor White was another, uh, organized the Society for Photographic Education, which was a number mm -hmm. of people who were. <laughs> you kind of answered my question right there. You never heard of it, I guess. Then, I just wondered if they, anyone ever contacted you about that. Certainly, they knew that you had been teaching. Um, well, I got always these enormous <coughs> questionnaires, you see, to answer. Yeah, I don't understand about that, or who those were oh, to, to answer what I think about this, what I think about this, what I think about that, and I never answered them. But they certainly didn't contact me. Man White wouldn't. Man White was a great friend of mine, and then he cooled off completely. You mean he was a friend of yours in, in San Francisco? Very much so, and also in New York. He never came to New York without seeing me, and when then I discovered that he had become a prophet, and when I pointed that out in one way or another, then it was finished. He behaved them like a king, you see. It was not to be believed. This man really thought he was a prophet and he was a king and he was a great personality. He had built all that up out of nothing. And he knew I didn't believe it. Mm. I mean, in the way he taught and the shows and... It's not to be believed. I remember I was sitting with Mike Hoffman in the office and I know Mina White. He was a wonderful guy. Even Berenice liked him very much. He was a big mouse and a big smile. And he had broad shoulders, you see. And he knew what better photographer he was. He knew it. <clears throat> and so we always had our quarrels and our conversations in the limelight cafe and so forth. And then um, one day that changed. And also something happened which was very unpleasant. One day I was in the limelight with a friend of his. And Helen G., the owner, came and she said, here is a young boy and he absolutely wants to show you the photographs. And I said, no, I can't really. He's a student of Manor White. And I said, out of the question. You cannot do that. And then the young boy came to the table and he said, I'm leaving tomorrow. Give a look at this photograph. And I said, OK. And I said to myself, I'm going to say nothing, you know? That was a very talented photographer, very powerful. And I saw all this unbelievable shit he was photographing, you see. And suddenly I said, I really don't understand how a talented and strong photographer can do pictures like that. And that came again out of my mouth. And he said, I always knew it. And then I was in the mess. <laughs> and I said, well, I, you, see, you mustn't forget that man of white teaches one way, and maybe I understand things another way, and so forth. And then he told that man of white, and then man of white came and he said, uh, there's a club in Rochester invites you to come over from the MIT or whatever that was and to spend a day with them and to ask to answer questions and the trip and the hotel, everything is paid for. Mm -hmm. That was his student. To Rochester? Yeah. To RIT? And these were his students. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, man, I can't do that. Everything has a limit. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I can't do that. I didn't do it. But that was the end between Manor White and myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I saw him two years ago walking into Mike Hoffman's office, and suddenly somebody comes in, walking in like a king. And I looked at him and I said, Mana, are you still a prophet? And that was the second end. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked him. Yeah, I always hope that one day we may have a very good conversation again. And get back this very warm friendship that was between us. But he was crazy even if I was there. When I was teaching the first time in San Francisco, 
he was present in my courses. And then he said at the end, I'm going to write an article about what you said in Aperture. And he did. I have it. Yeah, we've seen it. I told you the story, no? No, but I've seen the article. Yeah. Tell me the story. And then I read the article and I said, not one word I've ever said, not one sentence I've ever meant, and I cannot sign that manner. It's impossible. And then he said, all right, I sign it, and then at the end I write that you said that you don't agree with anything, but this is what I learned from it. Yeah, but what he said was completely, completely schizophrenic. Not one sentence made sense. I think that Manor White wasn't normal. <coughs> and what he did with his students is hypnosis, hypnotizing. Too bad. I still had hoped that we could come together, but we didn't. You, you mentioned uh, Limelight Cafe, and I know that uh, that hmm? was one Limelight Gallery. Limelight Gallery. Yeah. I just wondered uh, what, what that was like. I don't know too much about that. Well, that was wonderful, yeah. There was a big coffee shop here. It still exists. Mm -hmm. oh, it's a drinking place now. And at the end, there was a little room like that, not bigger. And that was a little gallery, very well separated from the coffee shop. And, and there she had beautiful shows. And never in my life have I seen more seriously and more often Photographs. I went there, had a cup of coffee, encountered friends, like in a coffee shop in Paris. I said that in this interview now. She's going to have a show at the Carlton Gallery of all the people, not all of them, some of them exhibited there. And it was really a beautiful thing to invite one's friends, the photographers, go and see the shows and so forth. It was excellent. And Helen G was a, was a friend of yeah. yours? Yeah, she's a friend of mine. When did you first meet her? Helen G was a student of mine and a student of yours. Oh, really? Yeah. Before she opened the uh, coffee house? I think she was a student of mine before. Yeah. Would have been one of your very first courses, probably. First she a private student or at the new school? N no, she was a student in one of my courses, yeah. Private students are students who are one. Oh, oh so, but it was not at the new school, it was one of your classes yeah. here? Yeah. She was the one who sent Lan over to me, and she regrets it to the last day of her life. Yeah, yeah well, the less said about Lan, the better, I think, right now. That's right. Yeah, that was a nice, interesting, that was another one of those galleries that sort of tried to make it, couldn't make it as a gallery, might have been able to make it as a coffee house. No, 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 she could have made it. If she could have supported the coffee house, she would have supported the gallery. Yeah, but she couldn't make the coffee house. She couldn't make the coffee house, the rent was too high. We heard a story or read someplace, I don't know which, that uh, at one point uh, after you had been, been frequenting the coffee house and uh, you were friends with, with Helen, that you had a, an argument or something, uh, and you had a little falling out. Is that, is that true or is that? With Helen G? Yeah. Never on the purpose of coffee house and never on the purpose, and I never had a falling out of her. I only behaved the way I thought it was right to behave, but deep down we always were friends. Not at all. She came, the other day she came and she took a photograph of the Carlton Gallery, and we had long talks, and she's an extremely intelligent woman, very sensitive, 
understands photography very well, ran her gallery perfectly well, and I think she deserves this kind of a show they are giving to her. And she may have had a terribly difficult life. She had a child from a Chinese painter, you know, who died. She was divorcing. And um, she retouched color. And only after a long time, she went into graphics. That's when she met Lung. And seven years ago, she said Lung was a marvelous man, and the family was extraordinary. And she cannot believe this change. I'm sure that this is true. But she did something which was avant-garde, and nobody else did that, you see. With the gallery? Yeah. She did that very well. So that's that. Yeah. In, your, in your courses you gave here, uh, and in the New School courses, is there, uh, this, I don't know if you can answer this, but is, was there a, a kind of a typical student, or was there a typical age, for example, of these students? Uh, no, when I started, you see, the new school was the most outstanding adult university in the world. In Europe, nothing of that kind existed, as much as I know. And they were really something politically also avant-garde, socialistic-minded, not communist. And then they had very great artists people who nobody on earth would ever hire as teachers. If Schoenberg would have come to New York, he would have thought uh, it's a new school, probably, you see. And really independent artists and famous artists, and so forth, and mostly at that time, I think, adult people who came there. And the people I got at the new school in the first five or six years were incredible. Were they mostly like 30 years old, 40 years old?